This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladayan. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to Fans on the Run, that show that reminds you it's nice to be nice. Whoa. That was that was a bad pun, and I feel I feel ashamed. And I could just end the show right there, but for for the sake of the show and for the sake of you, the listener, because I love you, I will continue. I I have a fucking great guest today. In fact, this this is this is interesting because I discovered this man's music from a former guest on the show. And you can actually probably pinpoint the exact moment I discovered the group Pugwash in an episode of Fans on the Run, where he says, oh, you gotta listen to this. And I'm like, okay, I'll go listen to it. And I have, and I love it, and my god. Fuck, I'm not gonna say anything else. Thomas Walsh, welcome to Fans on the Run. Eden, what a wonderful introduction. I'm sure it was Mr. Gregory. It wasn't Who, Mr. Was Gregory. It? Oh, it wasn't. It, it was a fellow by the name of John Montagna. Ah, John, the lovely John. Well, brilliant, brilliant musician and top, top guy, Macca Looney, you know? And yeah. he does the bass, he does the bass videos, doesn't he, with Macca yeah. and stuff? The, the Macca bass. Yeah, he's a great guy, John. Well, thank you, John. I'll tell I'll tell John thank you later on now if we speak to him. So but it's a pleasure to be here. You know, you've got your name out there. I've seen it around, and you've got some really great guests. And uh, more apparently, because you're only a wee toddler. Yeah, I'm, as we say, I'm two and a half. I'll be three in August. You're an, you're an ankle biter, as yeah. we call them. But you know, it, it's fantastic. And the thing is, that's why. Just to just to um, go on the point of youth, the youth, and you know, knowledge and all that stuff. It's just almost assumed nowadays that when you're 19 or 20 or that kind of age, you're you're thick, you know, you're stupid. People still people think nowadays, oh yeah, well, how do you know that? Whatever. And the thing is, when I was growing up, you know, I as we were talking about just before we came on air there, you know, I was seven or eight when I got my first ELO record. And it changed my life. And I all I wanted to do then for the rest of my life was to, you know, be a a singer or a songwriter or collect records and, and that's what I've done for 50 almost 50 years um so it, it, the knowledge once you get your first record it could be you could be three years old to get your first record you know the knowledge will start to go in right from there and I think when you say to people oh you know Kate Bush was 14 right and Wuthering Heights or 15 right and you know uh, uh, the man with the child it is uh, you know a song like that for, for someone so young and people think that's impossible now but it's not it's just that we're so used to the laziness and the you know i had an i had an argument online with a guy recently now i i honestly 10 years ago i would argue with everybody online mm-hmm. you know because i'm still drinking but um but you know 12 years this 12 years tomorrow i think sober congratulations and uh I'll put a post on Facebook to get more love. You know, I'll get more love. But, Wait, was uh, that not enough? No, that's not enough. Okay. I mean, it's 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 enough from Canada. That's fantastic. I don't have to have any more love from Canada. Because, you know, as much as I, I came very close to being in Canada last year. I was at Niagara Falls 
so, so close. You, you were I could so feel close. it. You, you could yes. You could feel the Canadian warmth. I could feel it. I could see it. I, the bridge was there. We just hadn't got the necessary paperwork to pop across it. And you know, but anyway, I digress. Yeah. So this guy was on the, the Kinks. The Kinks, you know, are a very special band. I'm sure they are to you, and we can talk about stuff like that as well. But when I see now the Kinks official, which is one of my, it's it's one of the official kind of online things for a specific amazing legendary band that I'm not quite comfortable with because it's quite badly run in my opinion because they basically put posts up with the wrong information, uh, misspellings and all that kind of shit that I hate and when you say look it's not lazing on a sunny afternoon it's called sunny afternoon you fucking idiot you know they say, oh, who cares? And so that's what I'm talking about. When, when you're young, it's okay to get the right information. It's okay to get the, the knowledge in you. It's very important, actually. It's not okay to call something with a wrong fucking name or put the wrong year up or the wrong spelling. It's just not right. So It's even worse if they do that and then they get you know cocky about it. It's like, well, who cares? Well, that's the thing. It's like, I the guy came care. on. And, well, the guy came on and said, oh, you must have got out of the wrong side of the bed or something like that. And I said, honestly, my day is the same every day thanks to good meds. You know what I mean? You know, I'm perfectly lateral, you know, normal, happy now, you know, but I have a, I know, I'm only joking, you know, but it's, you know, yeah. I, my day is, I just, I wake up and it's a day. It's, there's no anger or hatred anymore. And uh, and I just read it, and I, then I go, not shit, that's a mistake. They put a video up with the lyrics coming on the screen as they sang, and there were so many mistakes on it. It was just like, what the fuck? So I just wrote it in the post, and I said, you know, it's a bit of a trait with the Kinks official, and it's not good, you know? It's the Kinks. For fuck's sake, you don't mess with the Kinks. You know, it's like, it's like someone putting up, you know, what would you say? Uh, I get boy with a little help, my friends, as the name of the Beatles song with a little help, my friends. Yeah. You know, everybody would say that's clearly the wrong title. So why can't you do it with the Kinks? So anyway, the man said, oh, and then I get into a little spat with him and said, look, it's okay to have knowledge. Don't, I'm not arguing with you about anything else other than it's even quicker to get it right than to get it wrong. <laughs> so anyway, it's too much Judge Judy in the eating. That's what it is. I love her too much. Well, it, it's, it's passion. <laughs> it's passion. It's passion. But some people see it. That's what I'm saying. Some of the modern day people see it as being a, a grumpy old fuck. But you know what? How proud am I to be a grumpy old bollocks when it comes to that? And uh, anyway, but yes, um, uh, yeah, youth. And if you're, you're a grumpy old, if you're a grumpy old fuck, then I'm a grumpy young fuck. Well, that's great. And, and be proud of your grumpiness. Yeah. It's a wonderful trait. It's all good if you channel it in the right way. Because if you're grumpy with, with wit and, you know, comedic value and you, and you have information that's right and you're with someone who's a bit thick, you can win any argument. And that's great. So and it's a power, you know, it's a power. So, so anyway, what was your question? I've forgotten. <laughs> I haven't asked any yet. See, I told you. That's, no, that's it's, the problem. I, I haven't even asked a question. I've already learned a really valuable life lesson. <laughs> no, no, well, I'll stop short of the life lessons, but 
Um, because you know, too many mistakes for me, but I do know the answers when I make the mistakes. So I'm like a guinea pig for everybody else. Yeah. I'll make all the shitty fucking mistakes on the way down the road, but I leave you a couple of notes and a couple of signs saying, pop this way, don't go straight, you know, jump off here and have a cup of tea, don't go in and have a pint of whiskey, that kind of thing. You know. And and that's why I love well, well, thank you very much. Yes, I love you too, Eaton. Now ask a question. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll quit beating <laughs> around the bush. How did you first yes. discover the Beatles? Well, there you go. That's obviously going to be a quick answer, isn't it? Um, yeah, of course. But, I, but in, honestly, when I think, when I let my mind go past the normal brick uh, firewall that it has up you know because you know really a lot of artists have a firewall up and they only go to a certain spot yeah. like you know Mac will only tell a story about it's getting better all the time can't get no worse you know Lennon yeah, yeah all that classic yeah, stuff yeah you know uh, yesterday came to me in a dream yeah well you know that classics are historical things and when I went to see Mackie a few years ago in, in, uh, last year in his Q&A in the Royal Festival Hall in London I got very lucky and I got a front row ticket. He was 30 feet away. He was less, 30 feet away from me the whole thing. And he was telling those stories and I was crying because the actual man was saying those things. So we see him in interviews and he goes, ah, oh, he's talking about scrambled eggs again. And then he tells the scrambled egg story in real life and you fucking lose your shit. Yeah. It, it's different hearing him, you know, on fucking jimmy jimmy fallon saying this and then when Very you're with, a, with when you're in a stadium with forty thousand other people he says yeah you know jimmy you know he he yes. good sergeant pepper and everyone's like wow. well, you, do a, you do a good you do a good market i mean yeah well, i'm dublin and dublin and liverpool are you know we're basically sister towns and uh, i couldn't do a market uh, uh i can't even you know my accent is too thick. I've said thick a lot in this interview so far. I have to stop saying that word. But Beatles, my Auntie Patty, Patricia, Auntie Patty, uh, not like a liver patty or, you know, or a fucking yeah. burger patty, but that's the way I say it. Um, she lived in a place called Bally Fairmont in Dublin, which is not far from where I was born, in, which is Drimna, uh, so just a 10-minute car ride, and she was my father's sister, and she was the one, when I went to visit with my dad, when I was three or four or five, um, she, she had one of those classic old 60s racks. You know, there were racks you put records in, yeah. and people didn't, and that's why if you get lots of records in the 60s and you see the, the rim, the, the, you know, the outer rim all cracked, or, you know, a bit of a cut here or a bit off there, because you used to shove them into them racks without any sleeves, obviously, just playing the record. So I love those old racks, but of course they're, they're the enemy now because, you know, we love collecting and we love taking care of our records. And, so you don't shove them in a rack. But yeah. um, not a ra- not the country a rack, by the way, a, a rack. And uh, so so I was over there and she had, she had a, a, a rack of singles. Of course, I was intrigued. And that's when you don't know why. But as a kid, I was just like, okay, oh. And she had the big, huge sideboard record player where you open the doors and the bass gets louder, you know, all that stuff. 
And I went over and of course I seen that Parlophone 45 label. And still to this day, it gives me, I get goosebumps when I see that label. I love it so much. One of my favorite labels ever, ever. The old black and silver. Yeah, and it's just simply the way the four and five is on it. It's just so amazing. It's so brilliant. It's look, I'm getting goose pimples. Look, well, people can't see, but yeah, I, they I are can there. confirm. I can see him. He 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 has goose pimples. Yes, and you know, it takes a lot. It's a lot harder for goose pimples to get through my skin, you know, because I've got a lot of insulation going on. But I just picked one out, and I think it was from my memory. It was. I can't say for depth. It was either she loves you or I want to hold your hand. It was one or the other. And uh, I remember she played the want to hold your hand, maybe, because that's the one that always sticks out. And it's just, you know, people say this, and this is like 1974, maybe. And, you know, because they were gone then, sadly, you know, they're all still alive. God bless them. But um, I heard it and it changed. It changed everything. And I was only fucking five years old. But it's like you hear it and you go, what is that? It didn't sound like anything. Because, I mean, I'd hear the latest songs on the radio and they'd be Gilbert O'Sullivan and yeah. even Wizard now. Because that's the thing. I went looking for Wizard. I'm pretty sure myself and my brother. And that was our Roy Woods thing. Because we just loved Wizard from Top of the Pops. Yeah. So well, those old Wizard I, I, Top of the Pops clips are, are fantastic. Yeah, and imagine seeing them when you're five years old. It's fucking it's the greatest thing There's ever. There's someone in a, in a gorilla suit playing the sax. Yeah. And he's... Pretty much probably Mike Sheridan. And, uh, and then Rick Price on roller skates and the big angel wings. and Bill Hunt always looked incredible with his... Just looked fantastic. And Charlie Grimmer, Grimer uh, on drums looking like a, an Italian gangster. Keith Smart... Looking, they just all look so great. Uh, Bill Borney, all of them. I love them. Nick like Pentelope, a spiritual they all successor look great. to to how the Bonzo Dog Doodah band looked on like Top of the Pops and stuff. Yeah, and you know, uh, Mike Borney, by the way, I said Bill Borney, I was thinking of Bob Brady, and I got them all mixed up. But yes, Bonzo's then, and I again, I'm jumping onto the Bonzo's, they arrived about the early 80s, and I loved them as well. But anyway, Beatles. Played it, loved it so much. I said to me, Auntie Patty, can we bring these home with us and we bring them back to you? And God love her, you know, because uh, she's a long time gone now. Uh, but she said, yes, of course. And of course, we took them home. They never got, they never went back to the. So every time we go over, we bring a few records home. That was what happened. And, and I remember we definitely brought Forever, uh, Roy Wood. She had that. So she, so she actually was quite influential in. In my, in the, my dad knew, like, loved all, my dad loved, like, say, Abbott when it came to 74, 75, but he loved Perry Como and Frank Sinatra and uh, people like Roger Whitaker and all that, you know, he loved yeah. all those. But Gilbert O'Sullivan was a big favorite with Irish people as well, you know, being Irish, of course. But he was a huge star. Wait, you're and Irish? Lo- I'm Irish. Rumors are true. Rumors that's true, and I think the accent gives you away as well. But um, so so that was the very 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 start. And then, honestly, I got I went through the seventies being ELO obsessed, and that's a whole different story because we're on it's fans on their own, of course. But when it got to nineteen eighty, and I just, was just I was in bed, of course. The, the secret media yeah. fans on the run is we can talk about 
whatever we want because it's my show. Right. It, well, it's keep not a the... democracy. It's no, whatever we want to talk about. <laughs> well, I remember that. Of course, I've already I've already broken the rules from the start anyway. But it, I will keep on the beat story because it's kind of important in a way because. Uh, well, it's important to me, I suppose. But uh, when I went to the 70s and I've been obsessed with all things ELO, uh, I just kind of left the Beatles behind. But you don't leave the Beatles behind. They're there every day. So you're singing songs. I always remember singing songs like Drive My Car and Eight Days a Week. And they were never even singles. Now, there's no band on the planet. You know, we all know some really lovely Coldplay songs, say. But you wouldn't have people going around whistling their fucking album tracks. You know, as big as Coldplay are. So the Beatles were just, they were ingrained in the fucking DNA of everybody. They were so big and so important. So I remember like knowing those songs and all, but not having them. It was all ELO, it was all Roy Wood. It all became that. But then 1980, December the 9th, the morning of, my mother came up to wake us for school. There was four of us at bunk bed with myself and my brother top and bottom and then there was two separate beds and she came in and she went okay it's time to get up and you won't believe who's been shot right and, we, and of course I always remember my brother said Elton John what the fuck's that about um, he'd want to shoot Elton but uh, and, Don't uh, shoot and the other brother he's only the piano player exactly well done Ex 10 points excellent reference and uh, and then my other brother said, Rod Stewart. Now, it just shows you people who were big at the time, doesn't it? But of course, I'm lying there and I go, it's not Jeff Lynne, is it Jeff Lynne? Jeff Lynne, Jeff Lynne. It was all Jeff Lynne. And she goes, no, no, it's John Lennon. And I went, who's John Lennon? I said to myself, I always remember. I was coming down the stairs and all I could hear was songs, you know, I could hear music that I knew. And I was like, who's this John? I came down and my ma's in the kitchen. She's really sad. This is a Dublin, working class Dublin. It just shows you the impact. But I sat at the table and I went, that's that song I used to get, because I think you're playing She Loves You on the radio. And I said to my mom, that's, don't we have that record from Auntie Pace. And she goes, yeah, that's, that's the guy. He's in the band, he's John Lennon. And I went, and she goes, you know, I'm imagining, and she said a name and then I'm like, oh my God. And literally that night, I remember watching the BBC tribute, which was incredible. Annie Nightingale was crying on the TV. I always remember that. And the show, they might have showed Help that night, which was a rare showing as well. But either way, um, from that, literally from that day on, because then it was December and January 81. January 81, myself and my brother vowed to buy a Beatles album every week because he walked in a brass actually, making brass. And so he had money. He was 17, 18. And, uh, and that's what happened. So we go down to the locals' mall, uh, supermarket, as we'd say, or whatever, and uh, shopping centre. And yeah. we'd get, and of course, they all came back out again. That was the thing because of Lennon's death, you know. And what uh, was but the, the first thing was, one he picked up. What was the first one we got? Yeah. We started at the start. We started with Please Please Me. But the very funny thing is, we bought Please Please Me, the 80 ratio, whatever, 81 ratio, whatever it was, late 70s. We got that one. Absolutely loved it. Again, it was just a sound that just didn't even seem 
seemed futuristic even in 1981, and it was from 1963, you know, 62, 63. And, but what had happened then, because the Beatles were saturating the radios because of Lennon's death, we'd be listening to radio all the time and they'd be playing songs like Glass Onion and fucking, you know, You Know My Name and oh, everything. And we'd be going, okay, can we do this chronologically? Because I heard a song yesterday on the radio. Like, I heard fucking, you know, Dig a Pony, and that's on the Let Be album. And that's 10 albums away or something. We can't wait. I want to hear that now. So we, the second week, I think we bought the White album. <laughs> she went, please, please me, to 68. No, actually, I'll tell a lawyer. It went to Pepper, obviously. It went from please, please me to Pepper. And then it went to White Album because Pepper was the huge one. <laughs> and I played, do you know what the mad thing is? And this wasn't even planned because, not that I forgot I was talking to you today, but it wasn't in my mind last night <laughs> when I did this. But I put me these headphones on and I was desperate to hear uh, Pepper. But specifically the, the, rem- the remix <laughs> because... Honestly, there's been stuff done to the Beatles stuff catalog that's that's kind of been a bit it's been a bit hard to take. Yeah. Again, something's been a little bit lackluster. Stay eight days a week soundtrack with that cover, you know, and that kind of shit. Yeah. You know, we know, you know, even the one album, you know, it is a thing, but you know, it's still, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to appeal to and the Beatles are the niche fucking act. Yeah. You know, it's nothing you know, life changing. Oh, you don't have to fucking, you know, put a... Oh, God, I was going to say a Pokemon, as if that was a, a modern-day thing. But, you know, you don't have to put something... Like, you don't have to put an NFT on the front of a fucking Beatles album, you know, to make people buy it or something. You know, it doesn't have to be something new. It can still be beautifully done and still look incredible and be bought by everybody. But I get it. But when it came to the remasters and remixing of the Pepper and... Because you can't do it before Pepper because it wasn't good on a stereo stuff or whatever it is. They're going to get over that, by the way. That'll be the, as we know, that's the next thing. They found this incredible thing to separate, separate yeah. things. But Pepper Remix, Remix, I think it's stunning. I love it. I, I think it's absolutely I, gorgeous. Yeah, it's wonderful. And honestly, it makes me comfortable to listen to that. Now, in, in this day and age, with my lovely headphones, it, it, because it's not whacking from right to left anyway. Now, <clears throat> the White Album remix, I think, is absolutely gorgeous as well. I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Some tracks, there's a couple of things going on that are a bit more prominent than they almost should be for our ears because yeah. there's certain noises and things that we never heard. The only nitpick I have for the White Album remix is on Obladio mm-hmm. Blada. It's missing a clap. Yeah, does that very well spotted? And there's things like you know, you know, like say, Wild Honey Pie doesn't just end and then go into the Mellotron Spanish guitar. You know, there's a little bit of Lennon saying something else. Now that's normally a great thing mm-hmm. because it's extra. But you, I don't think you mess with the structure of the record. You know, you can remix it for me, no problem, and especially if it's beautiful, which it is. But you know, those little gaps that are there for a reason, they're there for a fucking reason. Keep them there. You know, you don't, you know, it's like anything else. You don't stick a little bit of 
blue on the face of the Mona Lisa just because it looks a bit nicer. You know, you leave it alone. You know, you can package it in many ways. Uh, it'd be beautiful, but you don't mess with it. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's a little great, but honestly, Abbey Road is out of this world. And when I met Charles Martin recently, I just happened to meet him in Abbey Road. But I, you know, so many things I could have said really, but I, I was wearing the Wings badge, the original Wings badge, and he went, Oh, like the badge and all that stuff. But I said, Look, just I want to thank you for the the remixes because they're wonderful. I said, but Abbey Road is out of this world. It's absolutely stunning. And what I did last night was I played the way album <clears throat> and I played I played Pepper, but I played Pepper the whole, you know, the whole box of 80 tracks or whatever. Yeah. And so it's, like all it really five is, CDs. Yes. And it really is it really is marvelous. It's absolutely brilliant. Every single bit of that box set is beautiful. And people slagged it when it came out for various reasons, but it's stunning. And you know, and but Abbey Road, I think, trumps them all, and that's saying something amazing. But when I played them last night, uh, I was thinking to myself, isn't it so sad that I think it's very sad, that even though they made them, and of course, no one can better them, but it's sad that George and John aren't around to hear these remixes. Now, simply because I know George probably, now I'm only saying I know George. I don't know George, of course, I never knew George, but I'm saying we all know his. Yeah. beautiful way of thinking he probably would have, I think he would have loved these remixes because they're really there's such warmth and beauty in them and his guitar playing is just blows well, everything I, out of the water it's so good speaking of and George I just think he would have loved them in those remixes the one that always stands out to me on, on the Pepper remix and I'm a I'm one of those obnoxious mono purists who it's, it's, well, that's okay. it's, it's got to be mono and because I really dislike most of the Beatles stereo mixes because it's got, because of this yeah yeah I've got prissy little ears that it's like oh I don't like everything's going on in one and then there's like a maraca going on in the other well, nobody does see yeah. don't worry nobody does see but then hearing the pepper one was just <clears throat> it, it's such a beautiful stereo mix and, and what did you, you you're talking about George within you without yeah. you oh my Stunning. god it sounds so wide it's just beautiful it's beautifully I mean it's a testament to George Martin and Jeff Emmerich and you know I think it was Richard Lush was it maybe I don't know but and it's funny because I'm great friends with uh, like Sean McGee who's a current master in Abbey Road I mean he's done all those yeah remasters and he's you know he's won a few grammys for the box sets and stuff and that and he does my vinyl uh reissues to uh you know to vinyl and he pops them through the little pink floyd fucking modulator in that road and he does them for me just for cost really he's a great great friend and uh, i think he'll probably master my new album eventually this time around um but he's just like you know he's such a they have to be normal detached people it's like Jeff Pesh. Jeff Pesh as well, who I love deeply. Uh, he's a master in Abbey Road. He's worked with McCartney a lot. And, but he has absolutely... He just McCartney is like the guy from the butchers to him. So he goes, oh, I was with a fucking band last night from Sweden. And I was at a phone call. I said, Mac is down in studio too. He wants to see it. I go fucking down. Oh, I'm working with a band from Sweden. 
And the thing is, I know this story well as he told me a few years ago, but the band even went online and said, our master in Abbey Road told Paul McCartney to wait while he was mastering our album. And he did. And, you know, I think what I'm trying to say is that these people are ultimately great for the cause because they can detach themselves from the, the idolatry that some other people might bring to it and some other people might get too close to it. But in fairness, uh, they've, they've finally got the sound, I think, right by getting Joel's Martin in. That's been the big thing, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, Personally. I, I'm, I'm going to jump forward in my in my questions a little because I know you, you did some some work down at Abbey Road yeah. fairly recently yeah. with a friend of the show, Dave Gregory. Yes, the legendary, beautiful man. Uh, what what is it like as someone who is is a Beatles fan to work mm-hmm. at Abbey Road recording? Well, well, I'll tell you a couple of things. Um, it, first thing I will always say is that I mean, this is fans on their own, but it's the fans, especially in my latter years, because it's so difficult for me to make records. I live on my own here, but I have a partner she's wonderful but she's walking abroad and all that stuff so i i live a a pretty you know cocooned life in a way and the only thing that gets me out of this life is this horror and the fans you know as in because you know it's not that i can live out my royalties the royalties are nothing now because i haven't made an album in five years because of the pandemic and everything else but I was only able to survive because of them. So when it comes to things like Abbey Road, I suggest to people, look, I know Abbey Road is not millions of pounds. You know, it's 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 gettable. But ultimately, it has to be for the benefit of the record. And the only reason why I say that is that I've been there before. I've worked in it before. I was very lucky to... But the thing is, there's something that no other studio on the planet of Earth can give you apart from that fucking room. And if I'm very lucky to be able to pop over there and go in there for a day and do strings or whatever and have these wonderful people around me, I'm going to do it because it's going to benefit a record that I'm making. It's not going to take away from it. It's not going to detract from it. I'm not there, you know, with a camcorder going live saying, ooh, look at me and start playing Beatles songs. We do all that. Of course we do. Fuck's sake. But it's like, it's only because it's a beautiful thing to do. You didn't set it up to do that. You set it up to go in and record an eight-piece string section and have Dave Gregory writing out a score that Barbara Gaskin wrote out, you know, on the paper and sent it, you know, and all these amazing people. And then all my mates, I can invite people in because you have an amount of people you can bring in. So I invite all my well, comedy I, friends, Matt I Berry. I saw you, you, know. you invited uh, Roger Spencer. And Roger from the Idol Race, he came down, he drove down... And the amazing thing was, he says to me the night before, or two days before, he says, I'm going to ask Roy to come down with me. And I haven't seen Roy in 10 years, probably. And I've had a few, you know, emails and stuff. But, you know, uh, Roy is, like myself, in a way, he's very much a homebody in a way. I mean, the thing is, he can get out and play anywhere. And I, I'm going to America in a few weeks, and we're going to have a ball. I love traveling. But Roy... You know, Roy has done everything, you know, in a lot of ways. He doesn't have to. Yeah. He's trying to, you know, just relax, I suppose, a bit. But 
the thing is, we know he still has great stuff in him, and that we know that we'd love, say, a book or a, a, a DVD of, of a retrospective, a Sky Arts thing, a BBC thing. The man is a national treasure. He's a Hall of Famer. He's, he's a legend. international treasure. And absolutely. And he's written one of the greatest Christmas songs of all time up there with White Christmas and all the fucking greats. So he's a legend. And I just, you know, I'll never give up on Roy. But, you know, he's taking it easy at the moment. But Roger says, I'm going to ask Roy because we can drive down together. Because Roger was coming out in Birmingham. But I was like, Roger, what can I say? Do your best. You know, I really didn't think so. But Roy was lovely. He, he said, look, thanks so much for the invite. But he, it was still quite, you know, the pandemic is still here. You know, there's still a lot of shit around. And, you know, people are rightly cautious about things. I'm not saying that was what Roy's decision was. But, you know, a lot of that stuff was still floating even six weeks ago, two months ago. So... He didn't arrive, but who cares? In a way, I don't mean that in a bad way, but Roger Spencer arrived, you know. Yeah. And and Roger and the thing is, it's sixty years next year when Roger was in that very studio, Studio Two, recording with Mike Sheridan. So he was talking, and he he was the star of the day because everyone was just talking to him, and we sat in the canteen and just stories. The stories are wonderful, but the great thing is, I'm you know I'm the Uber nerd, so I've got an archive of shit on my phone. And I'm saying to Roger, do you remember this picture, Roger? And it's like, fucking ridiculous thing. And he goes, where'd you get that? And I'm like, well, you know, what about this one? And, you know, so it's a real fan buzz for me, but Abbey Road normally now with myself, it's the culmination of a lot of hard work. And we've done a lot of hard work recording the album in Ireland, uh, up in the mountains, which is fantastic. Great time. But it's almost like, okay, Dave has done the score. Uh, the people have been booked, a lot of red tape at the studio and a lot of stuff, especially the COVID restrictions still kind of in place in a lot of ways. So a lot of hard work and travel and getting hotels and whatever. And it's a day of joy for me because my hard work's done. I've written the song. Dave is just there. To, and Dave conducted, which was amazing because he's never conducted in his life. Really? So they stood on the podium and, and did the conducting. And we have we have some great footage. I only got the Super 8 footage yesterday, which is absolutely amazing. Super 8 uh, footage? Oh, real Super 8 footage. Sweet six minutes of it. Jesus. And, uh, and going for that, was, that a day in the life kind of thing? Well, you won't believe it because uh, the wonderful guy who, who did it on the day, because we had Ben Meadows on, on photography. He took a whole lot of photographs, which you might have seen a few of them. Um, wonderful photographer and, and his kind of assistant and all an old friend uh, of Ben's but he he shot Super 8 footage and he shot some normal footage but the Super 8 footage is so hard to render and it's so pricey to to make he, it took him this long it's two months only yesterday he sent me a link to so I'll give you a little sneak preview afterwards as a as a, as a little gift to you uh, but it only stays with you it only stays with you. Yeah, as as Sheena Easton saying, for my eyes only. Yes, well, <laughs> it's another decent reference, well done. And not uh, not as good of a reference, but no, but it's a good one. But the, it's an unlisted Vimeo video, so I can send you the link for them. But the thing is, as well as he put he put the uh, instrumentals of "She's Even Home" and something strings over the footage. 
So it's quite emotionally incredible, really. But it's beautiful. So uh, I'll be able to use that at some stage anyway with one of the new releases, I'm sure. But uh, either way, so as you you did ask in the midst of time there, the Abbey Road, and, uh, and that's the reason. It's magical. It's special. It's like, why would you go, say, you know, it's like if, if you're a hugely religious person, you know, why would you go to your local church if you could go to the Vatican? Yeah. You know, you'd kind of go to the Vatican every now and again if you could, you know, or whatever. There's loads of, you know, ways of putting it. I suppose that wasn't great, but it was no, that, that's actually uh, That's actually quite apt. Okay. Yes. Religious, yeah. But, yeah. um, so it, it's special and it gives you special, something special. And the minute you hear strings being played in there, everyone goes, oh my God, that sounds like... And they can't quite finish that sentence because you just know it's a sound that they've grown up with for 50, 60 years. And it's, it's in all of us because of that band, you know? It's just, I, I can't even imagine being in, in Studio 2 and just being able to take <clears throat> it all in. Like the amount of music that has been recorded here, not even yeah. just by the Beatles, but, you know, of course, Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies, other records which names are escaping me. But you don't have to go through a list because we could easily sit here and go quiet for a few minutes and name a hundred, yeah, and then name a thousand. But you know, it's not very good podcast listening, but you know, it's true. And, and not only that, obviously, Studio One just say. Or Need Is Love, you know, the joint studio, but all the soundtracks to all the famous movies, all the incredible movies over the years, all the Star Wars things. I'm not I'm not one of those Star Wars people, but you know, I appreciate all that. Yeah. Studio Tree, you know, all the early Floyd stuff, you know, as well as Roy Wood did Boulders, I think, in, in Studio Two and One, or maybe all three of them. And uh, you know, these are just places that are just oozing with history and all of our musical history and billions selling records. You know, there's not, again, people say, oh, they were great bands. Of course they were fucking great bands. But even, even songs that were there that people wouldn't know so well, they still would have sold hundreds of thousands because there's something that's, that place adds to a, to a record. It's very special. So and it hasn't I, changed a fucking bit. Oh. It hasn't changed a bit. It, I mean, you know, the, piano, the, the, the day in the live piano is sitting there when you walk in the, the studio beside the, the challenge or whatever you call it and the, the other little piano and the Mrs. Mills piano, they're all there. They're sitting there. They, they don't, they're not like protected. They're not in a glass case. Like, you know, we went to Stacks when we were touring with Pug Wash in America and we went to Stacks and of course it is a museum. That's fair enough. Mm-hmm. But everything is in glass cases and, you know, and they're just keyboards, like, you know, you know, any Sergeant Pepper picture from Abbey Road Studio 2, there's Lennon and John, uh, Lennon and Mac and George all sitting at the one little Shallon piano and playing, and it's on everything, and it's sitting there. So everyone just goes to that. Matt Berry hit the day in the light card, and we recorded them doing it, because he just wanted it for himself separately. So we counted them down, and he went, on that piano. And of course, immediately, even though there was other probably 10 pianos with it, it just sounded like, well, it sounded like, eh, you know, so uh, yeah, special, special place. 
I like how you can just casually name drop Matt Barry. I I am well, you know, because because he fucking annoys me most days of my life. He's a fucking perpetual nuisance, but I love him. He's brilliant. He's a great friend. We go back a long way, but uh, he's mad. He's as funny as fuck. But he's one of my favorite you know, he's, comedians. Yeah, well, you know, he's it's he's kind of not really in a way because he's a brilliant comic actor. He's very funny. He's a brilliant musician more than anything else. Brilliant songwriter. Uh, he's just. He's really, he's quite wonderful in a lot of those things. But, you know, he's never going to go on a stage and do stand-up, you know? He's, that's no, not him. I, maybe comedian you know? wasn't the right word. No, but you're Comic right. Actor. He can jump into any, yeah, he can do skits on stage. Uh, he's done skits on stage, but I don't think he's going to go up with a microphone and go, uh, uh, my wife, take my wife, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, well, he could say anything in that voice of his, and I'd that's probably true. piss myself laughing. And the day, you know, the voiceover work dries up, you might go on stage and just go, Father, or something, and make millions, and he'd be happy with that. But, uh, yeah, so, great, great guy, you know. But Kevin Eldon as well was there. Paul Putner, all these great uh, comic actors and comedians. So, yeah, I just, but, you know, it's not like a... It's not like a, a lovey fest, a celebrity love fest. In London, it's just a, I know a lot of people who I got to know through Graham Linehan marrying Helen uh, Serafinowitz, who was there on the day recently, uh, who wrote Father Ted, you know, Graham yeah. is in a lot of trouble now with his trans views and all that stuff, which is quite sad. But, you know, that's just, that's a separate thing now. That's all whatever it is, what to do with me. But, um, so, but that's how I got to know all those uh, comedians and actors and, I said friends with them, Simon Pegg and Chris Morris, you know, Chris, oh, Chris, Chris nearly came to the studio. Chris Morris? He said, well, he, I hadn't spoken to Chris for a long time, and I sent him an email, and I said, look, I'm down on Abbey Road, do you want to come down? I haven't seen you in a long time. And I didn't hear anything back, so everyone came who came. But about a, a week after I came back, he sent me a lovely email, and it was just like, he's, he's suffering really bad with his back at the moment, and he's just kind of recuperating. And he sent me a lovely email, but it's still written. He writes emails. They might as well just be brass or emails. Yeah. He just writes in this incredible... Uh, I remember years ago when he wrote me first, but I'll never forget it. He wrote me and he said, uh, sorry I couldn't make it. Been spit roasting on a work fork. That's what he said. It means like, I've been busy, you know, yeah. but no, he's not been busy i've been spit roasting on a work fork so just what a genius and you know and various other things sent me a christmas card one year and it frightened me when i opened it it was so hideous so that was wonderful and uh, it was called quincy horse mugs that's what it was called and it's just like a big horse's head screaming or something it was just horrendous and it was beautiful and I still have it somewhere um, but yeah so I'm very lucky I got to know them because I went or it was the wedding band the pub or the wedding band for Graham and Helen and everybody in the comic world was there that night so I made a lot of friends but that's where I met Neil Hannon as well the first time so it was a very special night really that I'm going to ask you a, a completely well not completely but fairly unrelated question 
because uh, yes, you know, I I'm I'm a guitarist. I like talking about guitars on the show. I was brushing mm-hmm. up on some on some pugwash before it started, okay. and I was watching the, the the clip for "It's Nice to Be Nice." And yes. if memory serves me correct, you're playing a like a Rose Morris model Rickenbacker. I am very good, very good. Gorgeous thing. Do you want me to? Well, there's a great story behind that. Of course, there was a really bad, awful Irish heavy metal band in the eighties called State Line. Okay. And the brilliant thing about them, the brilliant thing about them was that there was a, a trucking company in Ireland called State Line, and they posed for pictures in front of the trucking company's trucks, like as if they had you know forty foots of gear going to gigs. Genius, I've gotta say. And uh, but anyway, State Line, awful, but lovely guy who was a singer in the band. I didn't know him from Adam, as they say, but. I seen an advertisement in the Irish Press um, newspaper in 1989 or 90, something like that. I was only 19, 20 then, and of course I was obsessed with Rick and Beckers because of John and John Lennon and all that stuff. And so I desperately wanted one because I was already writing then in my little shed, Andy Partridge style. Yeah. So there was an ad in the Irish Press, and I had Rick and Becker for sale, 900 pounds or nearest offer. And honestly, nine hundred. If you gave me nine hundred pounds now, I'd fucking celebrate for a week because it would be great. You know, nine hundred quid, still great. So there's a lot of money when I was nineteen, and we were, you know, a pretty working class family, and we, you know, we didn't have it. I didn't have it. Just didn't have it. But in them days, this is the shit you did. It can still happen nowadays, as you said on Discord. and all. You can do a bit of bartering, which is great, but. I rang the guy from the phone in the house and he answered and I says, I can get 300 quid, I said. And I, I, I said that figure and I had no reason why I could say that figure because I couldn't get 30 quid. But I said, I can get 300 quid. He goes, ah, no. He says, look, I'll take your number, but that's that's just, there's no way, you know, this is an, an original and all. I was so excited. So that was it. I left it. And two days later, uh, the guy rings the phone and my mum answers. She goes, oh, that's for you. I went there, hello. Yeah. Uh, do you still have that 300 quid? I said, who's this? The Rickenbacker guy. I said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, if you come up to you tomorrow, I live up in a place called White Church, which is not, not too far. A couple of buses and uh, Dublin Mountains. And I said, yeah. He says, you can have it for 300 quid. And I said, okay. And I thought it was black and all. There's no pictures written. It was a paper. It was written in it, you know. Yeah. But I thought it was black. I thought it was a Lennon one, you know. And uh, so, God bless my dear, beautiful mother. 20 years gone in October, she will be. Well, I asked her, and she said, yeah, she'll get the money out of credit union. See, this is what happens when you do a podcast with me, you know. Fuck's sake, it's ridiculous. But... She did. She went and got the money the next day, and I went up to the guy with 250 quid because I had 50 pounds of my own money, uh, like saved in some fucking Paddington Bear piggy bank or something that I still had. And she gave me 200 quid because I couldn't ask her for three because I knew that'd be too much. So I asked her for two. And I went up with 250 pounds because I thought I'd even get more off because I'd be there. 
And that's exactly what happened. When I went, I says, look, I can only get 250 in the end. And he goes, ah, I trust you. You can owe it to me. He says, but the reason why I'm giving it to you is that I'm flying out to uh, Spain to live. The band is split up. He says, but I'll tell you the story. We were touring in America. And we met this guy in a bar in fucking Texas somewhere. And he came up. He says, I've seen your band a few times now on their travels. I love you. I love the band. Blah, blah, blah. And he says to the guy, can I have your number and address and all that? Because I want to send you something. So he goes, yeah, go ahead, whatever. So six months later, the guy got a call from the, the, the customs down in the Irish docks. He said, Mr. Whatever, you, you have a crate here. So the guy went down, didn't have a clue what it was, but went down and it was a crate the size of a fucking the back of a truck. And the guy had sent them a complete, his complete collection of vintage guitars for nothing. Like about 40 guitars. What? Now I seen the I seen them all because he had them in his front room because he'd set them up because people were coming and buying them, buying specific ones, but he got no responses to the Rickenbacker. Uh, it is incredible, but it could have been the times, I don't know, you know, late 80s, stock aching and Wartman, you know, fucking whatever, Kylie Minogue starting. Uh, but, you know, so he, he just, but he says, he told me, like, he says, you can sell these 15, but I'd really love you to keep these other 10 or 20 or whatever. And they were like gold top Les Pauls and ridiculous fucking guitars. I was, I was drooling. But he says you can sell the Rickenbacker. So he says, I'm selling the Rickenbacker. And it was a 67 Rose Morris, uh, you know, with the, the export or whatever, with the scroll cut away, which yeah. is quite rare as well. I think you see Pete Townsend playing them the odd time at that time. And the zombies as well. On the front of the zombies box set, your big beat box set, uh, you see one on that. Yeah. Mine didn't have the whammy bar. Um, it just got lost over the years, I think. But it has the, you can put it on it if you want. Yeah, but it has, it has just that, still that chrome linen yeah. tailpiece. Yeah, it's just there's no R in there, yeah. it's just the chrome, and it has the beautiful pickles. But the neck is just it's like holding on to an angel or something, it's just the smoothest thing. So I just went, and of course, I need no case written for us, so I put it in a black bag and carried it home on the bus. And uh, it's still, it's in the next room there, still, it's in the next room at the hold down in there and uh it's just i love it and it needs to be set up there's a few things just yeah. given out about it you know but it's the most beautiful guitar to play and i love it and i'll never it'll it'll go with me i think you know yeah. but uh yeah but i have rocky inside rocky the... i have rocky yeah not the original like, not the original not the original rocky no. but uh i have i have a rocky and it's, uh, it's quite, it's stunning. And it, what happened was the Rockies came out, as you know, the George, and they were 30 grand. Yeah, it's somewhere around 30 grand. Yeah, and, you know, that's, to most people like ourselves, absolutely, unbelievably unattainable <laughs> whatsoever. Not even close. 10 grand, not even close. 5 grand, not even close. You know, getting closer, but, you know. But I understand it, and I don't give out about it. It's just that they're so beautiful, I wanted one. But there's this guy in England called The Painted Guitar Player. Check out his website. It's stunning because he, he 
he sources the exact guitars of these famous vintage guitars that were painted or done. He sources the actual guitars, gives you an option on different levels of quality of the guitar. So you can get a, a kind of a walk-in level. I, I've seen this guy's website. Yeah. Like he does he yeah. also do like, you know, the, the Paul Weller, the the other kind. The he does Ford. the Weller, he does the, the yeah, he does the, the Clapton Gibson, the SG, and he does the Sid Barrett mirror one and all. He oh. did incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. But the thing is, you know, you're always thinking the quality, you know. But it takes about three or four months or whatever, and you you pick your guitar. I pick the the middle uh, entry uh, Fender, you so know, because like it was really too made in Mexico or made in Japan. Well, yeah, but there's they're all really good. That's the thing. But the one in the middle, I just thought that's a really nice one. I had a few friends, you know, help the, me. The mid range Fenders are are pretty good. Yeah, and of course, originally as he as he knew anyway, and I knew. They were blue, and Mal Evans went out to buy them during the revolver sessions or the rubber salt sessions, pretty much, wasn't it? And nowhere, man, they were used on straight away. So the brilliant story about this I love is that the Rocky, the original Rocky that Danny Harrison obviously has now and Olivia George's, that's actually, uh, let me figure this out. It's not very hard to figure it out, but that's actually uh, John's original blue fender. I'm sure you know this, don't you? Yeah. So, you know, because when they got the two exact same, Mel, uh, Mal Evans came back with two exact same guitars, they eventually, they just changed them over and over. And one day, George took John's and gave him back, you know, his or whatever. Yeah. So so John kept George's. So when you go to, when you look on the Imagine, give me some true DVD stuff and all, you see George playing, or he picks up the blue Fender, or it's on the wall or something in one of the shots. So he's playing it, I think. And that's his original one, but John owned it. And in the meantime, George had painted John's one, so that was Rocky. Well, so they, they had already done that before with the the swapping of the guitars with the the J one sixty E's. Absolutely, yeah. They they were into that swapping thing, but the what I thought was a lovely thing is that you actually see George's original blue one being played by George Jordan. Imagine, and it's John owns it, but of course. It was originally blue, as you know, so it was that color. So he sourced a blue copy of the Fender. Then he sends it away to his luthiers to do, and it's so stunning. It's stunning. I mean, I've had people down here, and they've said, you know Rocky, you know, know it well, like, like ourselves. And they just go, it's like that guy who sold all that fake artwork, isn't it? Or the, the woman who sold the fake artwork. You really couldn't tell the difference. Um, you know, you would obviously if it came to an auction or yes, but uh, it's that good, you know. So yeah, I've a rocky inside, but it cost me fourteen hundred quid. It's incredible. Only fourteen hundred quid. Fourteen hundred quid for all the work. Obviously, the shipping on top about three hundred quid. So you know, if if you lived in England, you could get it for fifteen hundred quid, pretty much. I mean, that's still a long way away from thirty grand. It's incredibly far away from 20 grand. And it was a treat. It was a treat for me in lockdown because I asked him during lockdown. I said, look, I know you're part of your strict. And he goes, no, we're still working and, you know, we can do it. Obviously, we do do a lot of it, you know, uh, outsource it and stuff, you know, so people can walk at home. So, yeah. But anyway, that's a digression I, on the Rocky. I, I've often considered, because I, I'm in a, a graphic design you know, college, 
and I have some friends. It shows. Who, it shows. They're Excellent. incredibly good painters, and I've often considered buying a, a Sonic Blue Strat and commissioning one of them to paint yeah. the, the Rocky stuff on them. Yeah, it, it. You know, honestly, it's like I have a great friend who did, who works well, worked for Disney. For, he still works for Disney. He lives in America. Kenneth Slevin, he's a brilliant artist. And he used to just, I used to get him in school just to draw Mackie and Lennon because he was so good. So he just draw them. And then one day, well, this is a story I've never told. One day he did Mackie so well, the band on the run back picture. There you go. They talk about symmetry. So, um, and he drew that and it was brilliant. It's great. You know, only kids. And the other one was Lennon, 68, the white album Lennon. And we photocopied them in school and we went to sell them outside Trinity College in Dublin. We stood there selling them for like 50p, photo, you know, and they said, well, they're originals, you know, we photocopied them. Jesus Christ, just remember that. Anyway, yes. And I did get a copy of um, uh, an old friend of mine. This was around 1982, about 13 or so, and... This guy comes in and he goes, Wally, because my nickname is Wally. I'm still known as Wally to a lot of people. And he says, Wally, my brother has a rare Beatles record. And I went, okay. Straight away, like, you know, Ooh, okay. And this this fellow was a little bollocks, you know, as in he was a little, he was a little fucker, a little fecker, as we'd say. And, you know, he was a little thief and he was a little, he robbed shit and he was a little bit dodgy. But he was a nice guy, and I said, but I knew he'd probably get it out of the house. And he goes, and I says, I'll give you 50p if you get the album. He says, because the album's called uh, uh, Watching Rainbows, right? And I went, I've never heard of that. So he's talking out his arse. But why would he come up with this? So I says, well, look, at, even can, you, can I even see it? And he goes, no, he go mad, he go mad. So I'll give you 50p just to show me the album. And so two days later, I give him the money. He comes in with the record. He says, it's okay. You can have it for the weekend. He's gone away for the weekend. So I brought it home and it was, it's still one of my, it's something I'd love to get. And I haven't looked for it online, to be honest with you. But it was the original bootleg of Watching Rainbows with the Mad Day Out cover. Yeah. You know, so the four of them are on the cobblestones and it's beautiful. And I think it's Keep Off the Grass is maybe on the back of it, that picture. But it's just, it's Lennon jamming me and Mr. Mustard Jordan let it be when he sings Watching Rainbows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you know it. One, one of the, the Watching really Rainbows. One of the early bootlegs. Yes, and it's when it, it was broadcast on French radio uh, in the early 70s, maybe 71. And it was bootleg from the radio. And that's how it got on to being a bootleg record. It was one of the very early ones. Um but it was on, like, I think it was on pig, the, the pig, porky, prime cut, piggy one, whatever the, fucking the, the label trade, was. The uh, trademark of quality. Yes, the trademark of quality was the pig. Yes, well done. And uh, I brought it home and it was incredible because it was all these outtakes. I'd never heard it. And like, so I recorded it onto a cassette. And when I was in a blank cassette, and when I was in school, I made a cover for it. And I photocopied it. It's about the design stuff. So I, went in and I put these cut-out pictures in the shape of a cassette bit of paper, and I knew when to fold it, it would work, you know, all that shit. Yeah. And again, still have it somewhere in the pile. 
and uh, and that was watching rainbows. And he, his brother knew he, he took it and all. He's bit the shite out of him, as we say. He fucking said, "Don't ever want it." But uh, that was a beautiful bootleg. There's some bootlegs I love, you know. Yeah, well, bootlegs. I, I, I don't collect a ton of bootlegs unless they they're yeah, I, like important or yeah, I'm the exact amusing. same. Yeah, I'm the exact same. There's some yeah, lovely I've, seven inch bootlegs. I, I've got one that's a, a bootleg and it looks like the help cover, but it says fuck. That's that's one cool, of, yeah. There's one <laughs> I, I I've told I've talked about these at least like you know, every five episodes or so I mention them. Uh the Beatles versus the Third Reich. There, there's, yeah, a, that's a classic. there's a new one, relatively new one called White Power. Which I okay. It, the subtitle is the the most politically incorrect Beatles album, and it's got like you know Commonwealth and yeah, the, yeah it's got the, yeah, the get, get back, back to, you know the Pakistani yeah, yeah kind of Pakistan no Pakistanis or whatever yeah. which of course is taken out of context yeah and you know it's all about they're taking the piss the man the, the rivers of blood himself you know yeah. the guy the, the ridiculous fucking British. Uh, politician, but um, whose name escapes me now, but it'll come back to me. But uh, yeah, and I agree with you. Some of them you see, and you go, I mean, I I picked up a couple of boots in Amoeba in LA a few years ago mm-hmm. that were up on the wall, and, and you know, they were a bit pricey. And I thought, Man, look at that boots, you know, I always get, I always have this dilemma with my moral self about bootlegs because I really don't think bootlegs personally should be stupidly priced. I mean, I, I, I just one of those things. I can easily pay three hundred quid for a Beatles record that I desperately want. That's an original of some kind. Yeah. But with the Beatles, you know, you just kind of go, ah, come on, you know, fucking find it, find a level, find it somewhere in the in the middle there. Just you know, it's nice. You can, okay, I'll give forty quid for that, but not seventy, you know. So anyway, uh, but I still got them. There's a couple of lovely ones, actually. One was that. It was like a, it was like the butcher cover as a seven inch, and it was like pop sixty six Beatles. Oh, or something. yes, one. I I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, that like was really nice. I just, I'm having that. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's not real. Yes, but, they, uh, but, but it, it looks fantastic. Yeah, I, I like the ones that kind of look authentic. They look like yeah, you know, proper Capital or Parlophone releases, but are not. Oh, yeah. Well, there's this label now, and I've got to, I've got to give them credit. But you know, they are, you know, they, they're, they're on the border of, you know, of, of legal. They're not really, but basically, all the stuff that's gone out of copyright from the radio. Are, are you talking sessions. about 1960s records? Yes. I, now the I, thing I like, but the thing I, I like about them is that they, they, they really do good covers. Yeah, and they have like the flip backs and everything. Yeah. And they fucking put a bit of, you know. Yeah. As the Trogs would say, put a little bit of fucking fairy dust on the bastard. Exactly, you know. Put some strings on it. You know, yeah. some fucking strings. You have played Our fucking it strings. tonight. Fucking yeah. damn right, shit him. <laughs> oh, so brilliant, that. But, you know, especially with the the West Country accent, the, the Swindon oh, almost accent. Yeah. Who are, who are. Well, they're, Devon, they're Devonshire guys. You know, put some fucking strings on that. Yeah. So, you know, the yeah, it's gonna be a fucking true. number one single if you put some 
fucking yeah. It's one, yeah. two, oh, one, two, three, four. You're doing it fucking wrong. Yeah, it's brilliant because you know they were the ultimate band who were just cider drinking geezers who dabbled in psychedelic pop and yeah, you know what? Well, some great fucking songs, great band, but uh, uh just funny, that, you know, uh, funny. the Trog song "Hip Hip Hooray" stuck in my head for well, like I, the past three days. Well, I uh, well simply because I can sing it to you now because it was on when. We were young. The only way we could get access to old stuff because no internet and all that stuff uh, was the genuinely godlike genius of the B Club, uh, which has saved the life of so much of us because they, their archive is so beautifully preserved and still all there. And I still find it more. We just and more. gotta. We have to pause to let the audience applaud uh, Beat Club yeah. for keeping all this stuff yeah. preserved. Yeah, I accept the applaud. I. I I idolised the beat club. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it's so brilliantly done. And it was just genius. But uh, it, it was like a, did have a it. more surrealistic kind of top of the pops. Well, there's a couple of things that blow my mind. The idol race were never on it, which is incredible, considering some of the shite that was on it. You know, we love everything about it, but there was also some awful acts on it. So the idol race never being on it was always a big disappointment because that would have been saved any kind of footage. Yeah. Uh, the Honey Bus, so I'm a huge fan of, they weren't on it. And it's funny because if you do a search, it will come up that they were on it. But what they were on was a countdown of that week's top 10. And they showed a picture of them and played a bit of the song and they weren't performing it. So they were never on it. So, but Hip Hip Array, in the early 80s, RTE, which is the radio, Radio Television Erin, which is the Irish national TV station, <laughs> RTE, there was RTE 1, RTE 2. And on RTE2, which was just getting started in the early 80s, they would fill up their time. So on Sunday afternoons at 5 o'clock, they decided to put an hour of B-Club on. Genius. And I was like 12, 13, and we had a video. We had a top-loader video. And we, we used to share a blank cassette, would you believe? So, you know, it would the whole family would use a picking one three-hour cassette because they were expensive to buy. And... Uh, so I'd have the first half hour of the video. So, of course, I put it in, and the first thing that came on was the Easy Weeks Friday on my mind. I was like, oh, I'm taping that. And then BG is doing World. And I was like, fucking hell. And I was having I was having panic attacks. It was so brilliant. And then New York Morning Disaster came on, the BGs. And then, of course, the move came on live one day, and I, was, I nearly fell off the chair. And, yeah. But then one day, Hip Hip Hooray comes on. And I swear to God, you have to just, you know, it's on YouTube. Yeah, the I've, I've, seen the, I've seen the clip. Yeah, they're all, yeah, they're all in the line and you have, they have the background. Yeah, yeah, and he's doing all yeah, that. And the drummer's going nuts. Yeah. And when I got my mates over later in the 80s, early 90s, now, we'd be all looking at that stuff. We're all the same music fans. We just want to, we want to watch the Day Clark 5 doing Red Balloon oh, and uh, Live in the Sky. Because it was so awful, and everything went on the brass and all that stuff. And then you'd have the World of Oz doing Buffing the Man, which is oh. fucking terrible. It's awful, anyway. But you know, See, still I, brilliant. I, I don't awful. mind. I don't mind the the World of Oz. Yeah, the older I get, I don't mind World of Oz. In fairness, but Buffing Man is quite horrible. But then um, you have Hip Hip Hooray. And there's even some other ones, you know, oh God, but hip hip hooray, peppermint chew, 
Yeah. My girl loves me and she doesn't love you. I mean, yeah. the lyrics. Open your mind. Blueberry pie. My girl's yeah. got a funny look in her eye. Oh, it's, God. It's, it's not exactly thinking men's music, but that's well, you have to admire that about the Trogs. It's basically, it's welders doing psych pop. <laughs> That's all it is, you know. It's four welders just got, just saying let's let's write a song about a flower, you know. But then again, they wrote fucking "I feel it in my fingers," you know. They wrote that song and that became number one for ten years in the eighties and nineties. Wet, 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 yeah. the Scottish band. Uh, what's it called again? Feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my. Uh, my love is all around. Uh, Love is all around, yeah. That's you know, that's the trucks, you know. Yeah. Hell. But yeah, so uh, I love B Club. What oh, I love it, I love I, it. I, I have love a DVD. So I picked up a DVD. <coughs> I it, it was kind of random finding it, but it was a DVD of the some of the small faces performances on yeah. the Beat Club. Uh, they were yeah, they were well stocked up. Small faces, and brilliant stuff. What what I do find kind of frustrating, and I'm glad the Beat Club has an official channel now. And they put the stuff yeah. out, but the stuff they don't have that was on YouTube, they had it like taken down with copyright strikes. And there used yeah. to be, I, I found it on Facebook, I think, later, but an experimental color broadcast from 67. Well, green circles. Yeah, a green circles. I love playing the, the normal black and white clips to my friend. It's like, is that, is that supposed to be the green circle? And it's yeah. just a fucking gray circle zooming in and out. Now there's a, now there's a lot of debate over whether, because somebody went online then on a very well known site, and pretty much, pretty much confirmed that it was a a very early test shot for color, so it was actually shot in color as a test. Um, I've seen I have the full clip anyway because I worked on the. Uh, in a very small way, I worked on the Small Faces back catalogue with Tosh, because Tosh from my band uh, got to know Rob Cager, because nice. I knew Rob Cager, uh, the archivist, well. So, so if you have your move box there, you see my name on the move box. Do you have it there? Uh, which move box? You know the move box with the five of them on the cover, the white one. Oh, the the anthology. Yeah, I do have that. Well, I my name is on the back. Yeah, when I have a look. And, because I did a lot, you know, I sent a lot of stuff, some photocopied stuff. Oh, Martin Kinch obviously did most of it, but I sent a lot, and I did a lot of help. I gave a lot of help to Rob and stuff. So, through Rob knowing me, Rob got to know Tosh, and Tosh is the biggest Small Faces fan on the planet. So, Tosh is now the main. If you look at any Small Faces reissue, you'll see Tosh Flood written on the back. So, if you grab anything out there from the last 15 years, you'll see Tosh's name on it. I, I, and Tosh is the guitar player. My... Because I, I have all the Small Faces Record Store Day singles. Yeah, so he's on all them. Uh, you see it on all them. He's done everything. He's, he's sourced better quality copies. He's just become this archivist just through knowing, getting to know Rob through me, which is brilliant for him because he's into Divine Comedy now as a guitar player because when Pub Rush ended, Neil asked me, could could he have Tosh? Which is very nice of Neil. But uh, yeah, so he's in Divine Comedy now. He's doing great. I'm delighted for him because he's an extreme talented guy. But yeah, he did all the so we we got privy to the 
to the, all the sessions, all the masters, and uh, and that's something that I'm proud because we were also asked to to play behind some some uh, un, unheard Steve Marriott vocals that he did in the early seventies, and we were going to put the back into them, and you know that was kind of going to happen for a while. It didn't happen, but we still have the roofs of them and. But Green Circles probably is a 5149 that it's real. It's color real, that version. So, uh, you know, fantastic. And it looks amazing, of course. Yeah, I, I have the clip and it's it's incredible. You have the full clip. I, I have the clip of them doing Ichiku Park and them doing Green Circles. In color? Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Yeah, because it, it was, it was out for a while. It was on YouTube yeah. for the longest time, and then it wasn't. But luckily, uh, the powers that be don't seem to check the Facebook video stuff. Mm. So someone had uploaded it to Facebook, and I, I downloaded that while it was up. And so I have it yeah. archived away on my computer. But don't, but don't, don't start on YouTube. I mean, I, I have a channel, and I, I have... It's almost like they want, they want you to sign up to it. Now, we spoke earlier with apps, you know, if you find a nice app, buy it, you know, that'd be miserable. But, you know, with YouTube, it's the fact that YouTube is expensive to join, pretty much. It will be. And then they'd start inundating you with stuff. There's just a lot more baggage with YouTube. So when I dip into YouTube, that's okay. But I'd still like to not have all the hassle it gives. I would like to buy it, but it's just a little too expensive. But for what it gives... But the thing is, I have a copyright strike on every one of my videos that are up there, and I, I, I own the rights to 80% of the Pugwash catalogue. And I have copyright strikes on every video of my own music that I own. And, I, and it's only if you join Facebook or if you join YouTube and you can go into a, a certain hidden area that only you can only access when you're a member, you can actually... You know, you can put a strike against them, you can counter strike or whatever, and they get rid of them. But it stops a lot of people seeing a lot of stuff around the world. It's, anyway, but you know, so yeah, but they're not quite up to up to par on the Facebook stuff. Yeah. So it's a bit mm. of a a bit of a kind of a graveyard where you can yes. dig up stuff that you can't find elsewhere. Yeah. Like, so what's the, incredibly um, irritating is Beat Club has all of the small faces stuff. Except for Here Come the Nice. What is that? I don't know. Well, it I mean, I, I have, I have many, the video. Many a DVD, yeah. Many a DVD. I have. No, well, I've, I've definitely got it. I mean, you know, it's been out there. It's not yeah. hard to get. But I understand, yeah. It's, why wouldn't they have it? But it's honestly from getting involved in a little way with back catalogs and archives. You wouldn't believe it, because I can tell you a story, actually, about the idle race. Will Thomas say what happened with the idle race back catalog? Will they actually start talking about the Beatles again? Or will they just go back to talking about the Trogs? Tune in Monday to the thrilling conclusion to this episode. Same fan time, same fan channel. 